Good morning. Good to see you guys here. Let's just take a moment and acknowledge those of you that are watching online. Uh, those of you at the microsites, uh, Wes Henderson, St. George, what up? Let's just welcome everybody here today. Well, it's that time of year again. Temperatures going down. The radio stations are changing their playlist. Decorations are going up. That's right. It is Hallmark Christmas movie season. That's it. Come on, people. This is a big deal. Hallmark Christmas movies, they, they meet a need in me. I'm just telling you, you know, you can judge me. I don't even care, but I need me some Hallmark Christmas movie. We, no lie, start, I, I start streaming at Halloween. All right, I'm telling you, I've already seen like 30 of these bad boys. I'm just going to keep watching them because they just remind me that life can be simpler. That life can be less complex. Because this season isn't simple and it isn't uncomplex. It is, it is, I mean, there's so much going on, isn't there? There's shopping and there's cleaning and there's cooking and there's, there's people. And I don't always people well. I'm just telling you that. But like my house is full of people right now, some of which are in this room, so don't look at them. So, you know, there's just a lot going on. It can be overwhelming. And, but, and so that's why at the end of the day, just to turn on a little Hallmark movie. It just makes a difference, man, in that moment, because they're so unpretentious. Like Hallmark movies don't try to be something they're not. They don't, they don't try to be clever or ironic or, or frankly, even good. They, they don't even try. They know what they are. They are ooey-gooey, feel-good Christmas movie. That's what they are. And the, the thing I love about, about Hallmark movies is, is there's never any surprises, you know what no one has ever said after a Hallmark movie? Wow, didn't see that coming. No, because we know what's going to happen. It's awesome. And my favorite type of Hallmark movie is the least complex version there is, the romantic comedy. And, and I love it because there's only like three plots that they just recycle through all those. My favorite plot is the one where there's like the big city guy, the big city gal, and they lose something like their job or their fiance, or, and then they have to go to the small town. They don't want to go to the small town, but they go anyway. And as soon as they arrive, they immediately meet a ridiculously good-looking uh, local person whom they immediately can't stand. Oh no, what's going to happen? We know what's going to happen. In the last five minutes, two things. One, big city guy or big city gal is going to recognize that maybe I'm a small town guy or gal after all. And secondly, this person that I cannot stand may just be the love of my life. And they will come together and they will kiss. And then the snow will lightly fall. <laughs> As the Christmas music rises and the camera pounds out over this perfect little Christmas village, the end. Right? And I love it because Hallmark, they always end right there. There's no lingering. There's, it's just right there. And it doesn't even matter what type of Hallmark movie it is. Anytime the people come together, it's over. And so, you know, if, if, when, the, when the family comes together, the end. When the dog makes it home, the end. The couple comes together, the end. Because I think what they're trying to do is capture, like, the Christmas season, right? And, 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 and this is the spirit of the season, this idea of, of, of coming together, of being reconciled, of coming back together. This is the time of year 
that maybe more than any other time of year, that our hearts are kind of open to relationship and to be reconciled. You know, there's going to be some point for many of you over this next few weeks where maybe you're sitting across the table, across the dinner table from, from somebody maybe you got a beef with or there's some bad blood that's been going on for a while. This is the one time of year, you know, the, 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 the songs are playing and the, your belly's full and a little bit of eggnog and maybe, maybe your heart would be open to considering beginning a dialogue with this person because it's, it's that season where our hearts are open to coming together, to reconciliation. And it's not just the Christmas season, it is the Christmas story. That this idea of, of reconciliation is the heart of the Christmas narrative. Reconciling with God, reconciling with people, and reconciling with the whole world. And so that's what we're going to be dealing with as we move towards Christmas Eve services. This idea of reconciliation. And today we're going to start with the announcement that kicked it all off. If you've got your Bibles or your apps, let's open up to Luke chapter 2. Many of you know this story, but let's just listen to it again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, many of you have read the story before or seen the cartoon or the movie. I mean, all these different pieces of it. We know kind of what's happening is it's the, it's the silent night and, and the shepherds are out in their field watching their sheep and, the, and they're roasting s'mores or playing Uno, just hanging out. And, and suddenly the sky opens and there's like this, this angel standing there and they're terrified. So I imagine he's probably like buff and he's got like a big old broadsword, flowing hair. And he's like, don't be afraid. I got good news for you. It's going to be okay. And then suddenly behind him is like, bah, 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 backup singers, you know, heart the herald angels. It's this huge deal. I mean, this is a big, this is a big part of like the Christmas narrative. It's like the announcement, the proclamation of it all. But here's the question I want to start with. As I was reading that, what was your experience? What was your emotional reaction? And the reason I ask you is because I had to ask myself the same question. Because as I was preparing this message, so I, I read this, this passage again for the first time in a long time, probably since last Christmas. And I read it again and I was stuck by one phrase. And it was this one. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And that phrase stuck with me because if I'm being honest with myself and with you guys, that wasn't my experience. As I read that, I didn't, I didn't think, that is awesome. You know what I thought? That's sweet. That's so nice. I love when they, when they read this passage in the, in the Charlie Brown Christmas cartoon. You know, it just gave me kind of a warm feeling, just kind of that ooey-gooey Hallmark movie kind of a feeling. 
And I'm thinking, why? That's kind of odd. Because as I think about it, there have been moments in my life where I've received good news that has caused great joy. I think about when my wife first told me that we were pregnant. That was good news. Or in a different way, when the doctor came in and said the tests are negative, everything's clear. There's some joy around that. Or when my adult children came to me and said they were finally moving out of my house. Now that was good news that caused great joy for all people. But this moment with these angels, I mean, this is clearly a huge moment in the history of mankind. The heavens opened up. That doesn't happen a lot. Angelic beings filled the sky. This is clearly a big, big deal. So why is it that tidying up our junk drawer sparks more joy for people than this event? Why is it that that we don't have a stronger reaction? I think part of it is we've just gotten used to it. That as we read the biographies of, of Jesus, we read them on, on this side of, of everything, and we don't always understand or don't always remember what was at stake and what was happening that starry night in the, li- in, in, in the life of humanity and in the life of those shepherds. See, those shepherds, up until that point, had lived their entire lives. In fact, generations before them had lived their entire lives in the silence of God. That they had grown up hearing stories of how God used to be with his people. How God had rescued the people from slavery and, and led them with a, with a column of, of fire and cloud. And, and, and how, how God had, had spoken with Moses face to face like a friend speaks to a friend. How God had faithfully walked with his people through so much, even though that they were frequently disobedient and frequently rebelled and turned their back on him. He stuck with them through it all, but this time was different. This time, God had been silent for 400 years. For 400 years, there had been no prophets speaking for God. There had been no burning bushes, no victory over enemies. God was silent. God was distant. And they had to keep remembering as they sat there in in the darkness of that night that, man, once upon a time, humanity walked with God in the cool of the garden. That that's what we did. We just hung out. What are you doing today? I'm just kicking it with God. That's what we're doing. Going to go for a stroll. Who knows? See some waterfalls. That we had once walked and lived in the abundance of God's kingdom. But now, the reality of humanity was that we were separated from God by a chasm of sin and disobedience and silence. And in the silence of God, the Jewish people held on to the only hope they had left. 
that, that, that if they obeyed the law, which was basically the rules of their faith, if they obeyed the law and offered the required sacrifices for their sin, that God would somehow find a way to rescue them from themselves. But if you were a shepherd in Bethlehem, you did not stand much of a chance. Because even though it was your job to take care of the sheep that were literally used in the temple sacrifice, because of the requirements of that job, it made it nearly impossible for you to strictly observe the regulations of the law. For that reason, the rabbis considered you a religious outcast. Not only that, but you were considered as a shepherd so lowly that your testimony would not even be considered in a court of law. That was the reality of those shepherds on that starry night. And then the skies opened. The angels appeared and they announced the impossible. Today, a Savior has been born to you. The Messiah has finally come. God has overcome sin and made a way for us to be reconciled. He is no longer silent. The good news that causes great joy is that life in the kingdom of God was available once again for any and all who desired it. I know that that language, that kingdom of God language is a little clunky for us, that, that, that we're not familiar with that, but, but it's important that we understand what that means because not only was that pivotal to what happened that starry night, but it is central to Jesus' message for us. In fact, in Jesus' own words, he says this, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. So this is important that we understand what is this kingdom of God idea all about? Now most of us understand the concept of kingdoms as, as territories ruled by kings or queens, but in the spiritual sense it's even broader than that. It is essentially any area where one authority exercises his or her will over everything. And in that capacity, we all have our little kingdoms. We all have some, some niche, some area of our life where what we say goes. You know, maybe you're a boss. And so, you know, you tell your, your staff, your employees what to do. You know, it's your little kingdom. Or, or maybe you're a parent. And I know it doesn't always feel like it, but you do have authority over those little people. They're your little subjects. The point is that to a greater or lesser extent, we all have this area where we wield influence and our will gets done. For me, it's the remote control. That I am, I am captain of, of the remote control. I'm, that I'm going to decide what we're going to watch unless my wife wants to watch something else and we'll do that. But if she doesn't, then I'm going to pick because I'm captain of the remote. I'm king of the remote there. It's my little kingdom. But there's a problem. In the spiritual sense, there are these two kingdoms that are always conflicted. There's the kingdom of God and then there's the kingdom of self. The kingdom of God is where God's will is done. It's where God's presence and God's power are manifested to accomplish God's purposes on earth. The kingdom of will is where my will is done. Where my power and my presence are manifested to accomplish my purposes on earth. And that's where things get messy. 
Because we were not created to be kings in that sense. In fact, we were created not only to believe in God in some general way, but to love him supremely, to center our lives on him above everything else, to be part of his kingdom. And anything other than that is what the Bible calls sin. And I know that's kind of surprising to many of us because, you know, we assume sin is, is, is something else. We think it has to do with, with breaking God's rules. But don't forget that the very first of the Ten Commandments is you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other king before me, including yourself. According to the Bible, the primary way to define sin is not just the doing of bad things, but any time I pursue my will instead of God's will. Anytime I am operating from my kingdom instead of God's kingdom. This creates separation between me and God. And when we think of this idea of sin and separation from God, it has to do with whether or not we are good people, right? That's where we go. But I'm a good person. Me and God are good because I'm a, I'm a good person as defined by me. That, isn't that what we do? Is we define what a good person is and conveniently we all happen to fit into that category. And while what we do matters, what matters more in the kingdom of God in the spiritual sense is why we are doing it. That when we live our life trying to do good things for any reason other than pursuing God's kingdom and his will, then we are still separated from God. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. Even the good things we do rarely have pure motives. In fact, I would argue that most of the good things we do are self-serving in some way. For example, one of the main reasons we do good things is because it makes us feel good. The idea being that if it didn't make me feel good, then I wouldn't do it. Or maybe I'll do something good because I don't want to feel bad about myself. You're at the stoplight and, you, and, you, and you, you lock eyes with a homeless person and they see you and you see them and you're like, well, i got to do something now because they know that I see them. You know, here's a buck or whatever out the window. We do good things. I mean, that's not compassion. That's not a, a, a kingdom heart. Or we'll do good things because we want other people to think good of us or at least not think badly of us. Yeah. What do you mean the office is pulling together money for a going away present for that guy? I don't even like that guy. But you got to put money in it because otherwise people will think badly of you. The point is that, that we do all these things for all these reasons that really aren't pure. It's not about whether or not we are living up to our definition of good. Life in the kingdom of God is a surrendered life intent on pursuing God's will above my own. In fact, I would ask you to consider this that most of what is wrong in the world has to do with our pursuit of our own little kingdom, our kingdom of self. Because think about it. you got billions of people across the planet all chasing their own little wills, their own little kingdoms, trying to get their own little piece of the pie. And what happens is all of this self-kingdom actually it, it, it creates all this energy and it, and, and it actually begins to build a much larger and begins to build much more dangerous kingdoms like oppression 
think about it. Oppression is nothing more in the global sense than people in power trying to overwhelm people that don't have power. Think about it. Racism, sexism, classism, global injustice and economic disparity. It all comes as we all are chasing our tiny little kingdoms trying to pursue our own tiny little wills. In pursuing our kingdom, we are aligning ourselves with the evil and destructive forces of the world, and we are placing ourselves at odds with the kingdom of God. And I know that sounds harsh, but I want you to think about it for a second. If your highest goal is the good of your family, then you are going to pursue that at the expense of other families. If our highest goal is the good of our nation, our tribe, or our race, then we will tend to be racist or nationalistic. If our ultimate goal in life is our own individual happiness, then we will put our own economic and power interests ahead of all of those of everyone else across the planet. Only if God's kingdom is our ultimate home will we find our heart drawn out to people of all families, all races, all classes to the whole world. Not only is the kingdom of self what's destroying our world, it is what is wrong with us personally. When we are pursuing our kingdom instead of God's kingdom, we are inherently more anxious and unstable. Without God as our center, we may seem solid, our sense of worth may seem to be intact, but at any moment it can fall apart. For example, if I build my identity, if I build my kingdom on being a good parent and I have no other self, no other me other than that, what happens when I fail at parenting? What happens when, when my kids go off the rails? My kingdom is shaken. I am unstable. I, am, I, 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 I come apart. At the center of my purpose is being successful in business being attractive to others, or even driving social change and any of those things start to unravel, then I feel myself shaken to the core of my being because my kingdom is at risk. Only if our identity is built on God and his love can you have a self that can risk anything, that can face everything and bounce back from any and all disappointments because the kingdom of God will not be shaken. That is why the arrival of the kingdom of God was such good news that night. The good news of great joy is that because of Jesus, you can live your life right now, this moment in the kingdom of God. That in the kingdom of God, you can be unshakable because your identity is established in God's unfailing love. In the kingdom of God, you can be secure knowing that God's resources are unlimited. In the kingdom of God, you can co-labor with your almighty father and brothers and sisters across the planet to fight injustice and oppression throughout the world. In the kingdom of God, you can find peace in the loving, protective embrace of your father as he sings a song over you. When you live in the kingdom of God, you can forgive because you've been forgiven much. You can love because you've been recklessly loved. You can withstand anything because you will never be abandoned or forsaken. You can be a person of peace because you have been reconciled with the prince of peace. Now that is good news that causes great joy. 
But I gotta, I gotta be honest with you though, it's not easy. Living in the kingdom of God is not easy. It means I have to forgive people that I don't wanna forgive. It means I have to love people that aren't my people. It means I can't even, even, even settle with my best anymore. That I have to be open to God doing his best in me and through me. And the kingdom of God is not easy. But it's good. Jesus entered our world as a baby in a manger. He lived a kingdom of God life as an example for us to follow. And then he sacrificed himself so that we could be reconciled to God. And you see this all through his life, even in the way that he taught us to pray. What did he say? He said, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven the good news that causes great joy is that Jesus entered our world to bring up there down here so that we too can live a kingdom of God life. Once we were separated from God, unable to cross the chasm of sin and step back into our Father's kingdom, but now because of Jesus, we actually have a choice. So let me ask you a hard question right now. Right now in this moment, what are you going to choose? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of self? I know many of you are thinking, I'm a kingdom of God person. I'm, I'm, I'm in good shape. And that may be true. But let me just press on you a little bit. Are you living in the abundance of your father's kingdom? Yes, you may have the promise of heaven at some point when you die. But, but, but what's your life looking like today? Are you spending so much time with Jesus that you are becoming a different person and in fact you are starting to do the kinds of things that Jesus would do if he were you? Because that's the kingdom life. Or have you drifted? Are you just doing the bare minimum? Have you accepted your citizenship in heaven but you're just kind of coasting by waiting to die? Some of you may have drifted. Some of you may need to recommit today to live in that kingdom of God life again. Maybe there, there's something you may need to confess to somebody today. There's something you need to change in your life today so that you can go back to living the full, the abundant kingdom life that God has invited you into. For some of you, you may not have even realized there was a choice, that you grew up with just this kingdom of self and didn't know there were other options. And you're hearing for the first time there's options and now you're trying to figure out, I don't know, the kingdom of God life, that sounds hard, but, but this kingdom of, of, of self life, I feel like I've got more control. But let me just remind you of this. Take a look around you. Kingdom of self is not doing well in the world today. Not only is racism, oppression, and injustice raging like never before, but so is anxiety, depression, and loneliness. The good news that causes great joy is that no matter what you've done or where you've been, God wants to invite you into his kingdom of love and provision 
and purpose. He wants to carry your burdens of shame and loss. He wants to give you a life so much bigger than anything you could ever hope to give yourself. That this is the time for you to lay down your little kingdom and be reconciled to God. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm just going to just spend a little time with God in prayer. And I want to invite you to just accept this space as a time for you to kind of get right with him wherever you're at. And so join me in this prayer. Father God, I just thank you so much that you are no longer silent. I thank you that through Jesus you made a way for us to come home. Father, and for those those of us in the room who have been walking with you for a while, God, just right now, just highlight maybe some areas in our lives that we need to change, that we need to, we need to turn from, or maybe some things we need to start doing, some things we need to let go of, and maybe some things we need to start picking up so that we may walk in the fullness of what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Father, hear the desire right now in this room for you and for the life you have, God. And for those people who are standing at the crossroads between self and God, between kingdom of self and kingdom in your kingdom, God, just gently whisper in their, voice, in, in, in their ear right now that they are your beloved and you, you favor them, you love them. And for each person in here right now, Lord Jesus, as, as, as they open their hearts to you and they silently confess to you the ways that, that they've lived their own life apart from you, I thank you that you are forgiving them, that you are even beginning to heal them. God, and as, as they in their seats right now just commit to doing their very best to living the rest of their lives for you, Jesus, we thank you that through your Holy Spirit you will do the heavy lifting and that you will make sure that what you've begun in them you will finish. And we thank you for all those people who in this moment have entered your kingdom and we'll begin today to change their world. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. For all of you who decided to enter God's kingdom for the first time today, um, we'd love to chat with you. And so uh, you can go back to uh, the commons and the prayer room if you'd like. Or grab that blue card in front of you. And if you could turn that in on the way out, we'll have one of our pastors reach out to you today. I want to thank you guys for being here today. And I know most of you are on your way to lunch, but don't forget there are plenty of Hallmark movies just waiting for you on the other side. We'll see you next week.